many of you would say that you are an expert at multitasking? How many of you would say, I'm good, I can do multiple things at once? Well, this is the world we live in. This is the society we live in. You multitaskers, raise your hand right now. This is, this is most of us in here today. And some of you are saying, yeah, I multitask every Sunday morning. You know, every Sunday morning I come into church and I listen to a sermon and I check Facebook and I, I make plans for lunch and I solve the world hunger problem and I do all of that stuff on Sunday morning. Just that's, you're kidding. I'm kidding. We, we live in a society where, where everything is at an instant. Everything is a go, 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 go. And we have so much information at our fingertips thanks to smartphones and, and the, the age of the internet. And we have all this information available to us. And all this instant stuff means that, that uh, we find ourselves with so much more to see. So much more to do, so much more to read, so much more to watch. And we have all of this available to us. And and so we try to get as much of it done by doing multiple things at once. In addition to to all this information we have available at our fingertips. There's also the issue of the expectations on our society. See, uh, there was a a Gallup poll done a, a short while ago. And... In our day and age, the average work week is 47 hours, which is up from 42 hours nearly two decades ago. So there's more expectation on us. We have more expectations of what we're going to accomplish. And in, a, in addition to that, we think, well, what's, what's the price tag? What's the price tag to all of this busyness? What's the cost of it? There was a psychology science journal that did some research, and they estimated, okay, here, here's the result of all of this busyness. They estimated that 66% of us normally will eat dinner in front of the, in front of the television, with the television on. It's, uh, their research shows that 65% of us will commonly have lunch at our desk at work, because that's just what you do. You eat through lunchtime. In fact, 20% of our meals happen in the car. 20% of our meals will come probably through the drive through or something you grab, and you're eating it on the way. And this research showed that while you're eating distracted, it leads to a couple different problems. Number one, it leads to overindulgence. So I would just say, I eat distracted, and that's my excuse, is because I eat distracted, so I overindulge. The other thing that happens when you eat while you're distracted is food doesn't taste as good. It tastes more bland. It loses some of its oomph. And so you begin to crave other types of food when you're distracted. This is just what research shows. And I can't specifically speak towards the boomer generation or those older than me. But I would say if you are 40 and younger, you're my generation. This is just the way we've grown up. This is the expectation. This is, this is the way that we have been raised in this multitasking society. We wonder, though, how effective is this? And we have all this multitasking going on. Some of us think it's great. How effective is this? Let me ask you, anybody ever heard of a guy named Clyde Beatty? Nobody. I didn't think so. I didn't hear about him until this week either. Clyde Beatty was, was born in the early 1900s, uh, was raised in Ohio. And he had, this, he had this aspiration as a teenager. He said, I want to join the circus. We can make a joke about somebody's family and can reconnect it with your family. No, he, he says, I want to go and I want to join the circus. And so he got a job as a cage cleaner. And so he's going to go in and, and clean the cages after the animals. And, and after a while, he worked himself up to become a very popular performer within the circus. And specifically, what he became famous for is he became famous for um, his fighting act. 
where he would go into the circus ring and he would, he would tame a wild animal. He would tame a lion or a tiger or a cougar or a hyena, whatever it was. And he would, he would tame these wild animals. And so there's actually a picture of him because he, he did something very ingenious. He was one of the first lion tamers that do this. If you look at this picture, you notice he's got that whip. And that's probably the first thing you see. Like, man, that whip is sweet. That's got to be the key, right? Actually, for a lion tamer, that whip is mostly for show. Because if you notice in his left hand, he's holding a chair. You see that chair right there? The chair is what does the important work. Because when that lion, when that lion tamer holds that chair in front of that lion, the lion tries to focus on all four of the legs tries to focus on all four of the legs at the same time. And with its attention divided, the lion becomes confused and is unsure about what to do next. Faced with so many options, that lion chooses to freeze instead of attacking the man holding the chair. How many of you can say I've been in that point? So many choices. I don't know what to do. As much as we like the idea of being an expert multitasker, There's plenty evidence suggesting that multitasking is not as nearly as effective as we wished it was. So so then we start thinking about our lives. And we think, yeah, you know, those are the tasks we do. But how many of us are trying to multitask all the responsibilities and all the roles and all the, the, the burdens that we carry in life? And we start thinking about all the things that we juggle, all the hats that we wear. You know, for me, I'm a dad. So that's one hat that I'm juggling. I'm a husband. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, I, I have a job, I have a house, and I have all these things, and I'm trying to keep all these things going. And if I'm being honest, I want to be good at everything I do. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be good at everything I do. So what we do is we have all these balls up in the air, and we're trying to juggle them, trying to keep them up in the air. And, and really, it's, it's, it's multitasking our responsibilities, trying to figure out how we can do everything and be good at everything. And so what we do is we juggle these responsibilities thinking we can manage them all. We try to be an expert at multitasking. The problem is, as many of you have probably experienced, when the rubber hits the road, there comes a time when these responsibilities begin to compete against each other, where everything comes to a head and you have to make a decision. Hey, what's most important? What is most important to me? Is it going to be being a good dad? good husband, a good employee, a good this, a good that. And we have to make a decision. What becomes the top priority? Because everything is going to compete for your attention. And at some point, they're going to compete against each other. And you have to make a decision. See, Jesus spoke about this idea, specifically referring to money. He said in Matthew chapter 6, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot do it. There comes a point when something always rises to the top. And that becomes the primary motivation for everything else that we do. Now, I want to be clear. All of these responsibilities that we're trying to to juggle, these are not bad things. These are good things. It's good for you to want to be good at your job. It's good for you to want to, to be a good parent, to be a good husband, to be a good every... I mean, those are, are good things. But ultimately, one of these things will always rise up to the top. They become your primary purpose, your primary goal, and everything else is going to become secondary and third and fourth and fifth. 
So, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. We've been in this series for the past couple of months through the, the book of Philippians that we've called Joy. And uh, today, uh, we titled the message, Joy in the Pursuit. Because Paul is going to talk about his personal pursuit of Jesus. He's going to talk about how this is how Paul is going to grow in his faith. This is how he matures in his faith. And so we've titled this, The Joy and the Pursuit. And this is significant for us. Because I think that Paul understood the idea of multitasking. He understood this idea of, of juggling multiple responsibilities, multiple things. Yet somehow, despite that, Paul was able to make his pursuit of Jesus his top priority. The number one thing that influenced everything else in his life. And I think that's what we want to learn from today. So let me, let me just be clear this morning with what I want to accomplish, with what I want you to hear. See, whatever, whatever responsibilities that you have to juggle, whatever goals you have in life, when we're done this morning, my goal is that you would move one, one responsibility, that you would move one goal to be the ultimate goal in your life. The goal that triumphs over all the rest, the goal that influences everything else in your life, that everything else in your life is funneled through this one goal. What I want you to do is I want you to press on to make your ultimate goal, knowing Jesus and seeing him face to face. I want us to strive for an ever deepening and widening and personal and intimate knowledge of Jesus because he is of infinite value to you and I. So before we pray, I'm going to, or before we jump in, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Uh, that, God, you would speak to us. That, God, as we think about all the things that we have going on in our lives, that, God, you would take time to, to give us your word. That we could hear you speak directly to us. And so, God, I pray that you would give us understanding. I pray, God, that you would help us to hear, help us to, to understand, help us to grow, help us to be challenged. God, you know exactly what it is we need to hear today. So, God, I pray that you would speak now. God, we pray for your blessing on our time together, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Now, if you remember where we left off uh, last week, Paul had used some pretty stark uh, language last week. And he said, he said there were these uh, Jews who had been become Christians, and they would go into the churches that Paul would plant, and they would say, hey, I, I know that you believe in Jesus, and that's good. We believe in Jesus too. But if you're going to be right with God, you've got to do these other things too. You've got to keep part of the, the Mosaic law. You've got to, you've got to uh, become circumcised. You've got to keep certain uh, laws about the Sabbath. And you've got to do these things if you're going to be right with God. And so Paul said, you know, if, if Christianity is all about accomplishments, nobody can touch me. Paul listed his accomplishments. And we remember we talked about these last week. He said, I was, I was uh, a Hebrew of Hebrew. I was as an Israelite. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Nobody can touch my resume. He said, in fact, according to the law of Moses, I am blameless. Paul said, this is my resume. This is all the things that I could stand on and say, God, you owe me salvation because of who I am and what I've done. And Paul said, this list, all these things, they are crap. They are crap in comparison with knowing Jesus. Paul says, you take everything that we could do and you take Jesus. Jesus wins every time. There's no doubt about it. The only thing that gets us into heaven, the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. 
Not Jesus plus good works. Not Jesus plus going to church. Not Jesus plus getting baptized. Not Jesus plus anything. Jesus alone is the only way that we can see Jesus in heaven. That we can see God in heaven. So you have this idea that the only place that we put confidence for our eternity is in Jesus. Not in anything that we do. And because of that, because of his confidence in Jesus, Paul said, my greatest desire, my greatest heart, my greatest passion, he said in verses 10 and 11, was to know Jesus deeper. Was to know the power of his resurrection. Was to share in his sufferings. So that one day, he might experience the resurrection and see Jesus face to face. And so we heard this statement. We said, this should be our heart. We should have a heart like Paul's that we would desire to know Jesus deeper and deeper. That we would desire to be conformed to him. That we would desire to suffer for him. That we would have the desire to be with him in eternity, our primary goal. Now, when I hear Paul say that, I think, yeah, of course Paul can say that. You know who Paul is? And Paul, Paul's an apostle, right? Paul, Paul is like the top guy. You know, he's been a Christian for 30 years. He, he's an apostle. He's a church planner. Uh, you know, he wrote the Bible, you know? I mean, he wrote 13 books of the Bible. So we look at Paul, and he'd be the guy that we see on the cover of Christianity today. He'd be, he'd be the guy that was speaking at all the conferences because he's, he's so, so public and he's so there. And we look at him and say, of course, Paul, of course you can say that because you are just well above and beyond me. You've achieved it. And Paul understood that people would look at him and say, yeah, Paul, of course you can say that. But that doesn't give much hope for me because, Paul, you're the apostle and I'm not. And I'm not. You're there and I'm not. And this is what Paul says in our text today, starting in verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect. See, the first thing, as Paul talks about his pursuit of Jesus, is we have to realize he recognizes his imperfections. He recognizes he is not yet perfect. He is not yet arrived. The, the translation here, uh, when, when, it, when it's translated, it literally means, I have not yet arrived. Paul's saying, I'm not perfect. Even after being a Christian for all these years, even after writing the Bible, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still repenting. I'm still praying. I'm still pursuing after Jesus. I have not arrived. Paul is the example that he's setting for you and I is that we never get to the point where we're there. On this earth, we never get to the point where we're, 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 we're perfect. We never get to the point that we have made it and there's nothing else for us to do in our Christian life. I think about, I think about my Thursday morning prayer meeting when I meet with Dan Petker and Dan Fitzgerald. You know, I love these guys. These guys are both in their, uh, Dan Fitzgerald is in his 70s. Dan Petker's in his 90s. And these guys are guys that have, have been Christians for, for, for 50 years. These guys have been following Jesus for all this time. They have this great history of serving the kingdom of God. And these guys are still hungry to know God more. Still hungry to say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done, but I'm still pursuing you. And this is such an encouragement because you never get there. And you can, take this, you can take this two ways. You can take Paul saying, I am not yet perfect. I have not yet arrived. You can, be, you, can be, you can become very discouraged. And you think, man, after all those years, after all those years, even after writing the Bible, man, we still got to learn. We still got to grow. We still got to repent. And you can be discouraged by that. Or you can be encouraged. You can be encouraged by your own faith and say, man, 
I'm on the right track because I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still repenting. I'm still pursuing after God. See, there's always something for us to learn. There's always new lessons to be applied. There's new truths to be understood. Because you know what tomorrow's going to bring? It's going to bring change. And the day after that, there's going to be change. And we continue to grow and understand more and see who Jesus is. What I found in my own life is the more I know Jesus, the deeper I know him, the more I see my sin, the more I see my need to learn and to grow and change. And it's like this ongoing cycle in the life of a Christian where we grow and, 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 and we, we, we learn, and then we repent, and then we practice humility, and then we begin to change, and then we do it again. We learn some more, and we grow some more, and then we, we see our, our, our sin, and we, we, are hum, we, we experience humility, and then we repent, and then we change. And it's this ongoing process where we learn, we grow, we repent, we change. And this is the life of Christianity. It's a, it's a continuing process. You never get to a point when you're like, man, I'm there. I've achieved it. Paul's, Paul goes on to say, second part of verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, even though I'm not perfect, even though I still stumble, even though I still sin, even, still, even though I still fall down, I get back up and I continue to press on. I continue to pursue Jesus because Jesus has made me his own. When Paul writes this and he says, uh, I, I, I pursue, may, I press on to make it my own. This means literally, this means to be seized, to be apprehended. And Paul's got this idea, I am, I am, I'm pursuing to apprehend Jesus because Jesus apprehended me long, long ago. I want you to understand who comes first. You know, we, we, we say the joke, what comes first? The egg or the chicken? And what comes first? What comes first? Does Paul pursue Jesus? Does that come first? Or does Jesus pursue Paul first? Look at the language. Look what he says. He says, I press on to make it my own. I press on to apprehend Jesus because Jesus has made me his own. God, many years earlier, he appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road. Paul was a, was a persecutor of the church. He was a terrorist. He was terrorizing Christians. And God appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And he, 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 God revealed himself to Paul at that point and changed his life. He, he grabbed hold of Paul. He said, Paul, Paul, you are going to follow me. You are now mine. I have a purpose for your life. You are mine now. And Paul said, because God grabbed a hold of me, because of what God has done to me, I am going to continue to press on. Even though I fall, even though I, I, I skin my knees and fall on my backside, I'm going to get back up and continue to press on because of what God has already done in me. See, we follow Jesus and we pursue after Jesus, not because we're trying to earn something from him. We follow Jesus and pursue him because of what he's already done for us. So Paul says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He says it again, I have not made it my own. I have not arrived. I am not perfect. But here's the difference maker. He says, I, ha I do not consider I have made it my own. But one thing I do. The second thing about Paul's pursuit of Jesus is he prioritizes. He prioritizes. I mean, he's talking about priorities here. 
I mean, he's just like us. He's got many things going on in his life. He's got many responsibilities, many hats to wear, many responsibilities to fill. And he's, he's trying to juggle all these things. But Paul says, I'm going to focus my energy in one direction. He's saying, there's one thing I do. There's no multitasking. There's no distractions. One thing, one priority. And what he's going to do next is he's going to Introduce us to some athletic language. Oftentimes when Paul was, was trying to communicate about the Christian faith, he would use a metaphor to the Christian life. And he would say, the Christian life is kind of like, it's kind of like a battle. It's kind of like a war. In this case, he's going to relate the Christian life to a race. This is what he says, verse 13. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. See, the third thing that we learn from Paul's pursuit of Jesus is Paul refuses to look backwards. He refuses to look backwards. Because when you're in a race, when you're, when, you, when you're racing, the last thing that you want to do is look behind you. Because when you look behind you, your attention becomes diverted. You're, you become distracted. Even momentarily, you take a quick glance behind you and you lose your rhythm. You, there's a momentary loss of, of focus and rhythm, which usually results in the loss of time. Okay, there's a story that highlights this. The 1954 um, uh, British Commonwealth Games in Vancouver. There was a race that was known as a Miracle Mile. Miracle Mile. That year, there was the first two runners who ever ran uh, a mile under four minutes. You had, you had the American, Roger Bannister, and you had the Australian, John Landy. And these were the first two men to ever run a mile under four minutes. And this race at the British Commonwealth Games, this is going to be the first time that these two runners competed against each other. So this was a big deal. The two fastest runners in the world. Two first people to ever run under four minutes. They're going to race against each other in the mile. So the, the race starts out. And uh, the Australian Landy, he led for a majority of the race. And he's, he's running. And he's running at a great pace. Probably going to looking at a record. And he's, he's running and he's on his last lap. And he goes up to the very last turn. He's got 100 yards left. And he thinks, man, I don't hear Bannister behind me. And so there's actually a picture of this. You can see uh, the guy on the right is Landy. And he's looking behind him trying to say, where's Bannister at? And as soon as he looks behind him, Bannister breaks on his right side, passes him, and wins the race by almost a full second. He looked behind him. Landy attributes this loss to looking back, even though it was just a quick glance. In fact, this picture has been turned into a, a statue that's still on display in Vancouver. Go ahead and show that statue. Landy is quoted as saying this. He says, While Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt for looking back, I'm probably the only one who ever turned into bronze for looking backwards. <laughs> and Paul's saying, Paul's saying this. He's saying, Forget what's behind you. Don't, don't, don't look behind you. Don't look back. And we think about all the things what we do. We look backwards. That's all sorts of things. Sometimes we look back at our, our successes. We look, we look back and think, man, look at all my achievements. Look at all my accomplishments. And so you've got some sort of resume. You've got some sort of thing that God has done through you. And you constantly look back. You take comfort into how God has used you in the past. You sit back and you become one of these people that talk about the good old days. Living in the past. And you aren't living in the present. See, in the Christian life, there are no has-beens. There is no has-beens in the Christian life. Only people that God wants to use in the here and now. The other thing we do is maybe, maybe when you're looking back, you don't look at the good times. Maybe you look back and you look at all the hard times in the past. 
You look at all the times that you failed God in the past. How you dropped the ball time and time and time and time again. And how you've messed up time and time again. And you feel like, man, there's no way. There's no way that God could use me. Now we're in the future because of how many times I have screwed up in the past. And so you're looking back at all these failures and saying, there's no way that God could do something with me. But you see, listen. Listen, if you've confessed your sin to Jesus, if you've confessed your sin to him, he's forgiven you. It's done with. It's gone. He's forgiven you. Maybe it's time you need to start forgiving yourself. Because we worship a God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances. In my case, a God of 155 chances. Just the way it works out. See, you are not bound by your past. God can and will use you again. God wants to to give you a new future. If you just stop looking back and start trusting him and start looking forward to what God wants to do with you here and now. The whole idea Paul is saying is, is don't look backwards in this Christian life. Don't look backwards at all this stuff. Keep your eyes forward. This is what he says. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says he strains forward. This is, this is when a runner, when he exerts uh, the, the utmost uh, strength and energy forward. You picture a runner with his eyes focused on that finish line, stretching out, leaning towards the goal, trying to get there before anybody else. This is the picture of what Paul is writing about. Then he says in verse 14, Paul says this. He says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The fourth thing Paul teaches us about his pursuit of Jesus is to focus on the ultimate goal of eternity with Jesus. He says, press on to that goal. Fight for that prize. Let me ask you, what's that prize in your life? What is the goal that you are pursuing in your life? We have lots of goals. I want to, you know, some of us, I just want a good life. Some of us, I, I just want a good marriage. I want, I want good health. You know, I want to live a long time. I, 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 want, I want purpose and meaning in my life. I want, my goal is to, to make money so I can travel and, and experience the finer things of this life. And, and, and we have all these goals in life, and these are not bad things. Not at all. But listen, those things, none of those things are the ultimate goal. Your ultimate purpose in life is not to be a good husband, not to be a good parent, not to be a good employee, not, not to become wealthy. Your ultimate purpose in life, the prize is eternity. It's the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul said last week in verse 11. Paul said in verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Don't be misled. The goal, the prize, the purpose in your life is eternity with Jesus in heaven. Samantha, uh, some of you ladies are going to be going to the if gathering this Friday, Saturday night. It's going to be in this place. And uh, super excited for the if gathering. Samantha was telling me something that one of the ladies was talking about for the if gathering. So I'm going to give you a little bit of preview. She said, she said that um, oftentimes we confuse what God offers his children as being the prize. And so we think about, we think about all the benefits of being a Christian. We think about what God's word says. We know that God can heal us. 
God's word, we know that God is a healer. We know that God, he provides for us. We know that God gives us purpose. We know that God can take what's broken in our life and fix it. These are things we know to be true about God. These are things called fruit. This is the fruit that God provides when you're in a relationship with him. And so here's what we do. Is we, we, we say, well, I've got my own goal in life. I want this and that. I want, I want to be a good husband. And so we think, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to follow after Jesus, so that way Jesus can help me accomplish this goal. Because really what I want is I just want my marriage to be good. I want my family to be good. I want, I want to be wealthy. I want to be healthy. And so I'm going to pursue Jesus so that way I can get the fruit of following after him. But listen, the fruit is not the prize. The prize is God. The prize is Jesus. That's, the, that's it. The, all this other stuff is, is, is extra. It, it's excess. It's, it's great. I'm here for it. But the prize... It's not that the price is God. It's being with him. Don't be misled. The ultimate goal, the ultimate price, the ultimate purpose in our life is eternity with Jesus. All that other stuff is extra. So Paul says in verse 15, 16, he says, says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul's saying, this is what a mature Christian looks like. You want to know what maturity looks like? This is what it looks like. See, I used to, I used to have this problem where I would idolize people. I'd look at somebody and say, man, you seem so mature. Man, I want to, be, I want to learn from you. And, and, and I've had to learn that when you get close to somebody, it really reveals kind of how broken people are. And, and those people that think, that, that sound like they have all the answers and, and, and everything's gravy, and they're really not that mature. The people that I found that I can learn the most from are the people who are mature like Paul is describing here. A mature Christian is a person who humbly understands they're not perfect. They're still broken. They still need to learn, to grow, to lean in, to follow. Mature people aren't stuck in the past. They're not always looking behind them. Mature people keep their eyes on the ultimate goal of eternity with God in heaven. And that becomes, that becomes their primary motivation in all things in life. And all those other responsibilities they carry, all those other things, they're filtered through that one primary ultimate goal of eternity with Jesus. And so they're, they're, the way that they love their wife and their spouse is filtered through eternity. The way they raise their kids is filtered through eternity. The way they do their work and they raise their money is filtered through eternity. And I love it because what Paul says is, is he says, I'm not going to take the truth of God's word. I'm not going to bash it over the Philippians. I'm not going to say, hey, Philippians, this is how you're supposed to live. And I'm going to take my word. And I'm going to bash it over. You know, what he says is he says, if you would think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Paul's saying, I'm praying that God will change your heart. And I'm praying that God will help you to understand. And this has been my prayer all week. That God would change our hearts. That God would help us to understand. So I'm trying to figure this out this week. I was trying to figure out, what does this mean to you and I? I mean, we've got this great idea of maturity. This is what it looks like for us to pursue Jesus and and grow in him. And, and, And I told you the goal is that we would press on to make Jesus the ultimate goal. Eternity with him and seeing him face to face is the ultimate goal. And so I thought what I would do this morning is I would do a little bit of an object lesson that I'm actually going to steal from another pastor named Francis Chan. And uh, so this is, this is a great little rope, and I'm just going to throw this out here. 
And uh, this rope is at like 50 feet. Just pretend it goes on forever, okay? The rope goes on forever and ever. And this rope is a timeline for your life, okay? This rope is a timeline for your life, and it's going to go on at some place for eternity. And this little red spot right here, this is your life on this earth. See it in comparison to eternity? See, let me ask you, what is your goal in life? What is that thing that you are pursuing? What is that thing that you are so certain, this is what I want? And you can think maybe it's your family, your marriage, your work, friendship, whatever it is. I think about myself as a parent. I think, I think it's a parent. I think sometimes our goal is to give our kids a great childhood. I want my kids to have a good childhood. I know, I know I didn't have a great childhood. I had some hardship in my childhood. So I want my kids to have a better childhood than I did. And I want them to have the toys. And I want them to have the experiences. And I want them to have the vacations. And I want them to have a nice house. Because I didn't have these things. And I want my kids to have all of these things so they have a good childhood. And you're looking at this and saying, we're investing all of our energy, all of our influence on this little spot right here. I want them to have this good childhood. And so we're investing all of our time and all of our influence in this little thing. I began to feel really dumb. Because this is the goal. This is nothing. Their childhood is nothing. And here I am trying to do everything I can to make their childhood good when I should be using my influence to help them have a vision of eternity. Of what's going to come. Because this is nothing compared to this. And what happens is we begin to feel, we begin to feel a little bit uncomfortable. We begin to feel defensive. You know, at least I start feeling uncomfortable and defensive. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, we go to church. We talk about God. You know, my kids, yeah, I'm investing in this spot right here. But my kids, they know who Jesus is. And I would say, look at how you spend your time. Look at how you spend your resources. Look at what you do with yourself. Because that's going to quickly reveal what your, really goal, what your goal really is. Do you spend money on missions? Do you sacrifice of yourself? I mean, how many times is it Sunday morning? Is it, oh man, we got to get up and get ready for church. Come on, guys. Hey, let's take today off. Let's, let's just stay home today. Let's go skiing. Let's go to the lake. You know what? People around you, they see that. Your kids are watching you and they see that attitude. And let me tell you, that attitude speaks further than anything you can say. People, watch your life. And they pick far more up on what you do than what you say. Some of you think, you know, my goal is to work so hard in this part of my life so that way when I get to this part over here, I can enjoy life. I want to I work, 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 save, 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 so that way when I get here, then I can enjoy life and I can travel and I can, I can have good food and I can enjoy this part of my life right here. And I'm like, what about this? What about all this over here? How can we prioritize this and totally not pay attention to this? See, I don't get why we spend, and, and when we all do this, and I'm speaking to myself today, why we spend this entire little red part trying to be as comfortable as possible, trying to have as much fun as possible. This is what we do. When the Bible says that how we live this red part influences how we spend this white part. 
What Paul's saying is Paul's saying, I'm not going to look around. I'm not going to look behind me. Paul's saying, no, I'm going to keep my eye on this part over here. I'm going to keep my eye on the prize of the goal of eternity in heaven. Because I don't want to waste this red part. I don't want to waste this red part. I want to make sure my eyes are on the prize. That I remember why I'm here. I'm not here to have all this fun and all the good things here. I'm supposed to have the good things here. And this is what our lives are about. And one of the biggest problems, though, is we're going to look around and see everybody else around us. Everybody around us is going to live to make this red part amazing. This is what we do. And we look at the way other people live and we say, man, that looks fun. I want some of that. I want to experience what they're experiencing. And then if we do, if we do try and live with an eternal mindset, we try and live with that eternal mindset of I want to pursue eternity... That means that changes how we spend our money. That changes how we spend our time. That changes what we do. And people who are pursuing this red thing, they begin to look at us. They say, man, man, why are you doing that? Why would you give your money to that? That's going to affect your retirement right here. That's going to affect this little part of your life. They say, you're stupid for making that choice. And I'm looking at this, I'm saying, no, you're stupid. Because you're pursuing this when this is what matters. Who's the stupid one here? I mean, this is the way we're supposed to live as Christians. We don't live for this red part. We live for the white part. Because this goes on forever and ever and ever. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live for that red part. I'm, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do what everybody else does. I'm going to keep my eye on the prize. Because when I get there, I want to hear my Savior say, Well done, you good and faithful servant. So let me just ask some questions here. What are those things in your life, good things, what are those good goals in your life that you are pursuing that have crept up and overtaken the top goal in your life? What are those things that we pursue? It's my work. You know, I just... I need, a, I need a good job. I need a better job because that's going to make my, my life just easier. No, you have a job for the purpose of investing towards the kingdom of God. Oh, my kids. I just want to make sure my kids. No, you have your kids to invest them and point them to eternity, not to give them a good life. You're to invest them and point them to Jesus and eternity with him. Maybe the better question is, what's the excuse that you're giving? What's the excuse that you are giving? What's the excuse that you are giving for why you aren't serving God? What's the excuse that you're giving for why you're not giving financially, giving sacrificially to God? What's the excuse that you're giving for not obeying God and living the way that God says to live? What's your excuse for not trusting God and doing things God's way? Now listen, I'm the king of excuses. I am the king of excuses. I've got the best excuses as anybody. And you know what excuses are? Complacency. They're us justifying our sin. They're us justifying us putting something else at the ultimate goal, the ultimate prize, instead of putting eternity as our ultimate prize. Today is the day. Today is the day that you need to press on to make your ultimate goal. To make your ultimate goal knowing Jesus. That you would strive for an ever-deepening, an ever-widening, an ever-personal, and intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. 
that today you and I would allow the pursuit of eternity, the pursuit of seeing Jesus face to face, that we would allow that to influence everything we do on this earth. Everything we do on this earth is to be influenced by eternity. Our work, our relationships, our money, all these things are to be influenced because of eternity. So let me just close this morning by, by, asking, you, by asking you to take a step of faith and make a decision today. Because as we look at this rope, as we look at this rope, it takes my breath away to see how small our life is in comparison with eternity. It takes my breath away. It makes me feel rather foolish for how much of a priority I make on this little part right here, or this part here, whatever it is. When this is what eternity is going to look like, even longer, even greater. This eternity is the ultimate goal. And this goal should influence everything in our life. And it would, be, it would be foolish for us to hear this message and to be challenged but not do anything about it. So hopefully you grabbed a worship folder when you came in. Hopefully you have a pen. What I want you to do is I want you to pull a piece of paper out. And I want you to say, if, 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 if Jesus in eternity is the ultimate goal, what is that one thing you need to do this week? What is that one thing you need to do because of eternity? What is the one thing that you need to do differently this week? I don't know what it is for you. I'm praying that God will speak to you. But I know just a couple things I can think about. I mean, we think, about, we think about those people that God has put in our lives, and we think, man, I know I need to tell them about Jesus. I know I need to call them back to Jesus. I know I need to tell them about who Jesus is. But, you know, it's, if they don't like Jesus, it becomes awkward, and that ruins our friendship. And, and so we, we delay things and say, not now. I'll, I'll do that later. Listen, if the goal is this, who cares if they say you're stupid because you believe in Jesus? Who cares if they say you're foolish? If this is the goal, man, that person's going to miss the, the goal if we don't say something. So maybe this week, maybe it's, I'm going to have that conversation with that person. I need to tell them about Jesus. I need to call them out for their sin and say, you know what? You're not living with this in mind. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe you need to cut back on how you spend your time. Maybe you spend your time living for this and trying to make this all good and say, man, I really need to begin investing my time into this. Maybe for you, maybe for you, you've got that toy. You've got that toy, that special thing, and you know that special thing becomes an idol for you. It becomes the ultimate thing that makes it hard for you to remember eternity with Jesus. Maybe you need to go home and decide, I'm going to put that on Craigslist. Say, I don't need this anymore. Because this is the goal. This is the prize. Write it down. Write it down. And be willing to make a decision today that you are going to let eternity be the ultimate prize, the ultimate goal. Whether it's big, whether it's small, I don't care. I just want every one of us in here to take a step of faith and live with this in mind this week. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness because, God, I know I need it today. God, I know how many things I pursue, how many things I think 
are so important to me. But God, in light of eternity, they're not. God, I pray that you would just help me to, to embrace this. You help me to understand this. That you help this help me to, to allow this to sink deep into my heart and into my life. God, I pray for every one of us in here today. That God, you would help us to move and, and reprioritize. That we would make knowing Jesus and spending eternity with him our ultimate prize, our ultimate goal. And that God, everything else that we do should be filtered through eternity and an eternal mindset. God, I pray whatever that, that, that decision we made today, whatever that decision we need to make this week, God, I pray that we would have the strength to follow through, that we'd have the strength to say, you know what, I've heard this message and I'm not just going to go back and do the same thing I've done. I'm going to do something different because of eternity. God, I pray that you would give us that, that, that strength and that boldness to do what needs to be done, that we would live with that eternal mindset, God. God, I pray for those that are coming in today who've had just a hard week. God, I pray that your grace would cover them. I pray that they'd be reminded of of your love for them, the sacrifice you made for them on the cross. That you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we could experience eternity. That we don't have to earn your forgiveness. We don't have to earn your salvation. But God, you've given it to us through Jesus Christ. And if we place our faith in him, God, we can be found in him. God, just pray for your grace to rest on us now as we have the opportunity to respond to your word. God, I pray for for all of us in here today that we'd respond how we need to. Some of us may need to spend some time just in prayer saying, God, I need you right now. God, I'm sorry. Some of us need to spend time in prayer for someone else. God, I pray for this person. I know that they're going through a hardship. I know that they're not living with this eternal mindset. God, I pray that you help me to be an influence and a light pray for those in here today who just need to be filled with your presence, filled with gratitude for who you are and what they've done, what you've done. That they could just join with the worship team now and just praise you and lift your name because you are good and you are great and you are worthy. God, I pray for your presence to rest on every one of us now, that we can respond to your word. We can feel your presence. God, we love you and praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen.